Please turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 23. It's found on page 325 in the Bible provided for you in the pew. I went down as I always do and greeted those in St. Andrew's Hall. Let me also greet those that are worshiping with us online. We're glad to have multiple ways to advance the gospel and his mission in the world. I continue to hear from others like at General Assembly that tell me that they're ministered regularly to by watching and listening to our sermons and our worship services. We're very grateful for Brant Fincher and our audiovisual team and all that they do for us. Attend to the covenant. If you've read our church history book of 200 years of God's faithfulness, which is actually called Cloud of Witnesses, the chapter that begins to describe the first worship service in 1812 in this sanctuary was a service where new members were brought into the fellowship. The session wrote a preamble. I'm wondering why we still don't read that preamble before every uh, group of new members joins the church, but I'll tell you more about that. But they lead with an exhortation, attend to the covenant. Now we're here at the end of David's life and leadership, and we've been talking about what it means to finish well. Last week we looked at finishing well is finishing in a life of hope that Christ provides for us. Here we'll see that finishing well is living well in a life of love. And next week we'll see finishing well has to do with living in the grace that God provides for us. But this text, chapter 23, follows the two songs that David sings at the end of his earthly life and ministry. He says, I'm going to leave this world. And I'm going to leave this world singing. But we'll also see today that David's going to leave this world smiling, not because of a reminder or something that he has done, but because of the assurance we gain from others in the body of Christ. I do think that David urged the narrator to include these counts of the mighty men of David. You see here from verses 8 to the end of the chapter, it's a recording of the three and the thirty known as David's mighty men. A casual reading of the text, particularly we'll focus on verses 13 through 17, would make you think this is a testimony of the faithful and loyal love that David's men had for David. I believe what we'll see is that though that is true, it's deeper than that. And these men understood that God has been faithful and loyal to show his love on David and on David's mission. And even three will remind David that ultimately our hope is in the loyal love of God. In chapter 23, verse 5, David declares where his hope resides. You see there in verse 5, he says, God has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. He says God's love and favor is so secure that I can fight and struggle through any battle. 
I can face any uncertainty, not because of the steadiness of my faith, but because of God's steadfast love. Here we'll see that it's actually David's mighty men that remind David that that which steadies our hearts is God's love. I'm going to read verses 8 through 17, and then just verses 37 through 39. As you see in the outline, we're going to look at three main realities that we gain from this text. First is the necessity of God's kingdom community, God's family. Secondly, the nature of that alternate community that we're called to build and what David is fighting for. And then a notation at the end that the narrator makes that reminds us about the special, unique nature of the character of this godly family called the church. Beginning with me in verse 8. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Joshebeth, Bas, Shebeth, Tachamanite, he was chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. And next to him among the three mighty men was Eleazar the son of Dodo, son of Ahohai. He was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel withdrew. And he arose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword. Now note verse 10 is very important. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. I'll come back to that in just a second. That phrase is coupled again in the following verses. Then the men returned after him only to strip the slain. And next to him was Shema, the son of Agi, the Herorite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils. And the men fled from the Philistines, but he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great victory. That's that second repeat phrase. Keep that in mind. Now verses 13 through 17 speak of the nature of the covenant community. This is antidotal. It's the only recording or story in this section of David's actual involvement with his men. But it's instructive because it tells us the character and nature of this team of mighty men. Verse 13, And three of the thirty chief men went down and came about the harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam, when a band of Philistines were encamped in the valley of Rephium. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, he mused, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men burst through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried and brought it to David. But he would not drink it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their own lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These three, these, these things the three mighty men did. Now, verses 18 39 through 39 speak of the 30 that the narrator tells us at the end is actually 37, which is not a problem. It probably is a reference to the reality that over time, David had a council of 30 men 
that changed over time, made up of 37 through the years that were his counselors. But if you'll notice in verses 37 through 39, there's two notations, and I think they're important. You'll notice that Joab, David's captain in general, is not mentioned, but Zelik, verse 39 says, the Ammonite, the armor bearer of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, is mentioned. And then you'll notice verse 39, the last mentioned man is Uriah the Hittite. That's worth noting as we understand what it means to live in God's covenant community. This is the word of God. Thanks be to you, O God. Let's pray together. Open our eyes, dear Father, and teach us what it means to be a part of this amazing community called the church. We recognize we don't deserve to be here, and we can't keep ourselves here. But thank you that, Jesus, you are the author and the finisher of our faith. Strengthen us as we seek to attend to the covenant. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First, a few reflections on the necessity of a covenant community, a kingdom community of God. When we hear that phrase, attend to the covenant, it's the call to know. We've been called into an alternate community. Obviously, I think we all would agree that you can't survive nor thrive in this world without community. But this text, as well as the Bible, reminds us God has called us to be a part of an alternate covenant community. One of my favorite works, literary works, is The Lord of the Rings. And many literary critics have discussed, is the purpose of The Lord of the Rings to teach us how to fight evil and battle evil in the world? Tolkien, in private conversations with the Inklings, his friends, C.S. Lewis, Hugo Dyson, Owen Barfield, and others, would say that the fellowship of the ring is the purpose of this life. And the purpose of that story is to teach us that as we strengthen our fellowship with one another, we are able to fight evil and push back the evil that lurks around us. More recently, movies like Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Band of Brothers, Gladiator, more recently, Marvel movies and the Justice League have pictured the need to fight evil, but recognizing that you can't fight evil on your own. Even the Beatles acknowledge that at times we all need a little help from our friends. Well, this text reminds us you don't get to clarity in this life on your own. You don't get to thriving in this life without a kind of community that we displayed here for little Jackie. It's a redemptive community. It's a covenant community. It's a community that strengthens our souls in God. I ask you to note verses 10 and verse 12 because for those careful Bible students of Hebrew, you know this is a Hebrew parallelism. Often the writer of Hebrew will use a literary device to point us to the key that unlocks the text. And 
Repetition is often one of those keys. Here in verse 10 and verse 12, it tells us, while these are amazing human achievements, the secret of their power is that the Lord granted the victory. And that has been the truth of not only the mighty men, but it explains the fact that David's still standing is that God's heart has favored him. So why all the fighting in the Bible? Some people are uncomfortable with reading about fighting in the Old Testament. It seems as if if God is a God of love, why so much fighting in the world? Well, fighting is an expression of a commitment to some kind of love. Love of family, love of land, love of safety. You can't really separate love from fighting. I used to think that there were two kinds of people, that there were lovers and there were fighters. But the more I've looked at my own heart and analyzed human behavior, every person is a lover and every person is fighting. The question is, are we fighting for the right things and are we fighting the right people? Now, Augustine, in his book, City of God, says that there's two cities. There's the city of man and the city of God. Both of those cities are built on love. The city of man is built on the love of greed and of self. The city of God is built on the love of friendship. And we see in this text that these are fighting because of the love that God has given this community. There is a community that's worth fighting for. As I said, I won't take the time to convince you that we can't thrive or survive in this life without community, but I will acknowledge that a man-centered community will eventually become abusive. It will abuse those under, whether it's the leadership in the family, or whatever the institution, it will abuse those with harshness and with coercion or with neglect and with abandonment. Attend now to the covenant is the call to the people of God that we are to care for the souls that belong to God toward their flourishing. As I mentioned in 1812, they were dedicating the sanctuary and listen to just some of the preamble that the elders had written before the vows of the members that uh, took those vows here in our church acknowledged and received and committed to. It says, God is supremely your hope. Jesus Christ is your trust. And you are now dedicating yourselves to serve him and become incorporated in the visible church. These vows will rest upon you all your life. They will follow you all the way into eternity. And then they took their vows. How true we see this in the mighty men of David. They understood that they were to attend to the covenant. They were under vows. And God has promised to give them the strength that they need. That's the necessity of a kingdom community built on love. What's the nature of that? There's really three things you see in verses 13 through 17. This amazing story 
that many have used to speak of the loyalty and love that David's men had for David. I believe that that is true. I just believe that the purpose of the story was to teach not only us, but also David and these men that there is a higher loyalty and an ultimate love that we are to attend to. Notice in these, uh, in this section in 13 through 17, that it is a relationally intensive engagement, what we call the community of faith. Now, I don't think that Dave was, David was being whimsical here. I just want some water from the well in Bethlehem. My mother, when I was younger, made me watch the movie Cleopatra with Elizabeth Taylor. And all I can remember about the movie was that four men would carry Cleopatra on a pallet and one would carry a shade over her and one would have a stick with grapes on it and she would ask for water and they would bring water at her whim. I don't think that what we see here with David is something whimsical. I believe that it's likely that they are talking strategy. They're locked down in the cave, the stronghold, and the exit is blocked. The Philistine garrison has positioned themselves in a land that doesn't belong to them. And I could see David saying, this is why we fight. We fight to live in peace. We fight to be able, like I did as a boy, to go to that well next to the gate in Bethlehem with no fear of being attacked from outsiders and to drink from that water. Oh, how I long for us to restore that kind of peace to this land that God has given us. But these loyal, mighty men, the three, it is said here, burst through because it is a relationally intensive community called the people of faith. I hope that's your, your experience at First Presbyterian Church. You're not going to be close friends or best friends with all 2,000 members of this church, but you need close friends. You need companions. You need members of the faith that walk with you through difficult times and also through times where someone's got to burst through. That's the second point. Risk and sacrifice become normalized in the community of faith. We spent the week in um, Memphis at the General Assembly. Somebody asked me, did you love your time there, Mike? I said, well, I think of Jim Elliott. He was once asked if you love wrestling. He was a college wrestler. And he said, oh, well, before the match, I'm terrified. During the match, I'm in agony. After the match, I'm exhausted. But yes, I love wrestling. <laughs> that was my week at General Assembly. And I came home, and my daughter-in-law had been alone because my son had been on the road. And so we invited the two children over, uh, having gotten off the plane, to give her a little bit of a break. And then it was their anniversary yesterday, so we took those two children. I think those two children wore me out more than the General Assembly, I want you to know. Why that kind of risk? Why that kind of investment? Because of love. Because of love. Jesus said it's more blessed to give 
than receive. And we see in, these, in this text, they had to burst through the barrier like a ghost in the night. It was probably some kind of stealth attack. And I can only imagine what the Philistine captain asked when it was reported back that three of these Israel's men of David had burst into the camp and passed the camp and worked their way into the heart of the city. I'm sure the captain said, what supplies did they take? What weapons did they use? What were they going after? And to say, they came for a bucket of water and they fought their way to the well and fought their way back. I'm sure he was terrified to think the kind of loyalty, the kind of sacrifice that was displayed. It's in a message, I'm sure they knew. Even if we die, we'll let them know this is not your land and we will not live in caves because God has promised that this land belongs to us. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. It's how in the darkness, under dark cover, when there was no way to get to God, there was a mighty man, a champion, and he broke through. He broke through that line, not to gain some water, but to give us water. And it would cost him his blood. It would cost him his very life to give us a promise and to secure a victory on our behalf. You have to think of the Lord Jesus Christ in Jerusalem at the Feast of the Booths. You've read this, I'm sure, in John chapter 7. But in John 7, it was the last day of the great feast. And on that last day of the feast, the high priest would take a pitcher of water and he would pour out that water onto the altar. Jesus interrupted the ceremony as if he was in charge. He held up that pitcher and he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the spirit that the father would send. The spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. An amazing picture here. David sees it when they bring this water back. It's the third characteristic of this kind of community. It leads us to worship God. He pours out that water and he says, I will make a drink offering before the Lord. I will worship God as I'm reminded the risk and sacrifice that these men took brought me the kind of courage that I need to burst through any opposition. I'll ask you this morning, believer in Christ, do you need that water poured out on your behalf? Do you need to be reminded in your failures, in your hurts, in your discouragement, there is one that has burst through for you? We read that in Hebrews 11, where it talked about the cloud of witnesses and David and his mighty men. They saw salvation to come the way that we see salvation that has already came. They look forward as we look back, but in faith, they trusted in this promise. Now, what's the notation here? I think it's important that we note 
that Joab is not mentioned here. I believe that it's important that Joab's armor bearer is mentioned, but not Joab. Why is this important? While Joab was a faithful general and commander of the armies, he shed innocent blood. He disobeyed David. And the message here at the end, I believe, is that God will have the last word in judgment. But you also notice another who is mentioned. Uriah is mentioned. Uriah is mentioned to remember that God's mercy and reward will have the last word. You recall that David in his indulgence drank Uriah's blood. He indulged himself in lust and not only destroyed Uriah's marriage, but took his life. And here David, who will not indulge himself now, is being reminded, there is a reward even for me. Even those who have failed, even those who have sinned, the power of this water is to bring healing and cleansing. And David says, I won't drink their blood. David declares that Uriah will have that reward. Even in the injustice that David brings, God will bring about justice. What a beautiful picture. Attend to the covenant, we're told. You know, I was thinking back to my experience here at First Presbyterian Church. I think that the first month I was here, I ran into Ann Smith and Alice Inman right here on about pew number five. And uh, they said they were so glad that God has sent campus outreach and me to First Presbyterian. I said, that was great. The next thing I felt, I don't know that it's happened. It's like I felt like they put their finger right there in my chest. And they said, you're an answer to our prayers. We've been praying for God to raise up the next generation. And God sent Todd Erickson. He'd only been here a few months to work with the youth ministry. And God sent Matt Gossage to work with Westminster Schools of Augusta. And you're here. What they were telling me is that you're an answer to our prayers. They've been attending to the covenant. And they said, you're to attend to the covenant. I'll tell you, it was inspiring, but it was challenging. I thought about one of the first converts at Augusta University. His name was Mo Montenegro. Mo grew up in the Philippines, and his father was a nuclear engineer who took a job in Seattle, Washington. When his father was transferred to SRS, he joined the baseball team at Augusta University. I was discipling Ronnie Barnes, who was the shortstop of the baseball team, a new convert. He introduced me to Mo, who was the center fielder. Mo had grown up as a Catholic in the Philippines, but had drifted from any kind of faith. And we began to talk about Jesus Christ. And we began to talk about salvation. We began to study the Bible. And it wasn't long before the Holy Spirit burst through the darkness in Mo's heart. He began to call me and say, will you study the Bible with me? I wanna know more, how can I grow? And I talked to him about our summer beach project. Mo came to every Bible study. He joined our church. And it's not surprising that after graduation, he said, I want to go to the nations. I want to take this 
good news of the water of life to a place that's dark and lacks water to refresh souls. Where can I serve? And we talked about Thailand, maybe the most unreached nation in the world. 58 million Buddhists and 0.002 Christian. We had a work there and Mo and Ronnie and Gary Allward and others were sent out of this church. He's been there 20 years. He's been there sharing the gospel, loving college students. They started a church in Concan. You know what they named the church? Covenant Church. I looked on the website this week. The pastor is a Thai. The assistant pastor is a national. The 13 campus outreach staff are all national staff. Mo has moved down to another city and has started another ministry and is starting another church. He's bursting through with the gospel. And he's a testimony that we are called to attend to the covenant. I was thinking about this reality. Of all my years of ministry here at First Presbyterian Church, if just Mo led one Thai person to Christ, and that soul spent eternity with Jesus, it would have been worth every sacrifice. It would have been worth every difficulty. It would have been worth every dollar given. It would have been beyond every prayer offered. Do you see? Believers in Christ, we're called to attend to the covenant. Listen to these words. These vows will rest upon you. They will follow you through all of your life and abide with you even to eternity as your great reward. Let's live in this beautiful picture of gospel community. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, that you came to us when... We were in darkness and in need of salvation. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for us when we could not raise a finger to save ourselves. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you live in us and you give us that life from Jesus that refreshes our souls. Father, we are so thankful that this is a church that sees sacrifice and giving and pouring ourselves out as a blessing. Continue to make us your blessing to others and strengthen us all for your glory, all for our good and the advancement of your name, Jesus Christ, in this world. We pray in your name. Amen.